you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. Welcome to Mindshock True Crime. This is the Moore Murray series, episode 34. The Drug Mule and the DEA. I am your host, Bruce McGuire. And Marcel Powers. And Sid Irwin here. And we haven't had Sid on in a while on the Moore Murray series, but we definitely need his Mensa intellect or former Mensa intellect. <laughs> Once again, you were too smart for Mensa. Did I get that right? That's correct. <laughs> so humble. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we're going to go over a scenario involving Moore Murray, not only as a CI, but possibly also a drug mule, either as a CI or not as a CI. And this is a scenario that was mentioned quite some time ago. And it's kind of been hush-hush since then. But are there puzzle pieces that could fit better examining this scenario and also the strange activity of multiple law enforcement agencies that just happened to go down that night on February 9th, 2004? What a coincidence. Once again, if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. And depending on your phone model, you might not have notifications enabled on your phone, even if you have it enabled in YouTube. So you can double check that to keep up on the latest Mindshock podcasts. Any questions, comments, thoughts, theories, or critiques, feel free to leave them in the comments section. If you like the podcast, feel free to hit the like button, share it across social media platforms, like our Facebook page. You can also check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. And if you become a patron, you actually do get to make case requests that will be honored in a timely fashion because our list of requests to cover cases and subjects is ever-growing and very difficult to accommodate everyone in a timely fashion, but patrons do get priority. So, Maxwell obviously has all the details of this case perfectly ingrained in his mind to recollect on command. But what about Sid Irwin? You've only done a couple of more Murray episodes. You have a good command of this case? I guess I believe so. <laughs> Max, what do you think about that? Impressive. <laughs> all right, so we did briefly discuss the drug mule theory in the past. What do you think about that, Maxwell? Do you think it was likely she was either dealing drugs, involved with people who were dealing drugs in some capacity, or a CI possibly stemming from the credit card fraud allegation, which may or may not be true, which we discussed in the silent UMass episodes, for some reason people just take on blind faith and for granted that she was guilty as charged and she under no circumstances could have ever been either covering for someone else or a situation we don't know about. Like possibly she was being told it was okay to use that credit card as a pass around credit card to order food. Uh, Sid, do you recall that detail or no? Uh, the credit card I may have missed. Yeah, so just a quick a quick recap for Sid so he can impart his thoughts. So Maura Murray actually was charged with credit card fraud. And supposedly she admitted to it. She was put on some kind of probation. Then she got an accident in her father's car the Saturday evening before she went missing on the Monday on February 9th. 
That was the Hadley accident. That was another accident that was very strange that we've discussed in detail. We have missing time. She could have possibly went somewhere else after leaving. There was a dorm room party. Allegedly, other sources say the party was held off campus. These changings, I mean, this is why the Maura Murray case is one of the most bizarre cases ever, because it's almost like you can't nail anything down. There's conflicting information for almost every single piece of information. So to take on blind faith one over the other, or either, neither might be true, we don't know. We just don't know. Or both might be true. If she went to the dorm room party, and so she had two friends at UMass, friends slash acquaintances, depending on who you believe. One of her coworkers, she worked at an art gallery, so she was pretty overloaded. So she's a nursing student with clinicals, plus she has a job at the security desk at the dorm, plus she also has a job at an art gallery. So the girl she worked with at the art gallery, Sarah Alfieri, she was the one who supposedly was having some kind of dorm room party get together that Saturday evening. And someone else who was at that party was Kate Markopoulos, a friend from the track team. Now, some people say they were very good friends. Other people say not really. And there's conflicting information on everything that Kate has said, pretty much. Earlier news reports say that she was not forthcoming with police. Other, so, yeah, we really don't know. She has not spoken about it since James Renner, a journalist, uh, some say unscrupulous journalist, showed up at Sarah Alfieri's house and she slammed the door in his face saying that she's not supposed to or not allowed to talk to him or something like that. Very shady and bizarre. Anyway, at the door, after the dorm party, instead of going to her room to go to sleep, Maura Murray actually wanted to return her father's vehicle because her father was in town to help her buy a new car. That's another story that's disputed. The Saturn was not running well. We don't know. That's her vehicle. So she left the party to return his car to his hotel, which doesn't make any sense because we're talking in the early hours of the morning. And she gets into another accident. So there's some missing time. Supposedly a, uh, an unnamed UMass police cadet. Keep in mind, we are no longer on, UMass, on the UMass campus. This is the city of Hadley nearby. But an unnamed police cadet who may or may not have been in her car, who may or may not have even been driving the vehicle, who may or may not have been following her in another vehicle, who may or may not have just been around for no reason and witnessed the accident. We don't, we really don't have any information. This person has still not been named. So speculation has run rampant whether this individual was also some kind of CI undercover FBI. There were stings at the dorm and people were arrested for drugs at UMass. In her specific dorm as well, like really big drug arrests, there were also multiple unsolved hit and runs on UMass that particular year was, and the year prior were very big years for hit and runs. So yeah, there's a lot of shady activity. Oh my. Yes. So that credit card, oh, and so the credit card theft allegedly is not even the beginning of her troubles. So she attended West Point and supposedly, once again, we're running on rumors here. I don't know why all these other researchers all take on blind faith that this is true. I mean, I'm sure it was reported she had honor violations on her record. We don't know what they are. And supposedly, even being late multiple times would count as an honor violation. So we really don't know what the honor violations were. And there was a leak who, who uh, sent James Renner information of her West Point records, which we went over on our Shadows of West Point podcast. We did three on West Point in this series. And we actually went over them. They specifically do not list what the honor code violations were. 
but supposedly she stole makeup or some couple dollars worth of makeup at a Fort Knox gift shop. Yeah, Fort Knox. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what her former roommate or someone at West Point allegedly said happened. Once again, we have no proof. She also did not speak favorably of Mora in any regard. So would a real friend do that? I don't know. It's it's all very shady to just I postulated in the Shadows of West Point episodes, if you haven't heard them, that if there was a classmate or so-called friend or acquaintance that was jealous of Mora for any reason, possibly connected to Bill Roush, who she started seeing after he was supposedly supposed to mentor her, so that's an honor code violation on his part, or I guess possibly both of their parts, to become involved, but supposedly he cheated on her with a friend of Julie Murray, Mora's older sister. Are you keeping track of all this, Sid Irwin? Because Maxwell has committed all this to memory after all these podcasts. Yes, I am. So her, her trouble, supposedly her trouble starts. So the other thing that's a coincidence, one more aspect we have to name, of course, is the Thursday night breakdown. So two nights prior to her car accident in Hadley with her father's car, before the final accident on Monday in New Hampshire, she, uh, she had some kind of emotional breakdown at work. So some people think it's because she spoke, she has two sisters, she spoke to one of her sisters, not the one who Billy Roush cheated with friend, that's Julie Murray, who also attended West Point. She has another sister, Kathleen, who did not attend West Point, who has had some drug and alcohol issues. This is Kathleen. Supposedly, so the time we went over the timeline pretty extensively. It doesn't quite add up. So it's more likely that supposedly Mora received a phone call on the desk, on the security desk line and not her cell phone. Or someone could have walked by and told her something. Because matching up the timeline and the earlier reports, once again, if you haven't checked out those episodes, we go into it in full detail. So she had some kind of breakdown at work, possibly related to her boyfriend, Bill Roush, possibly not. But coincidentally, that night is, uh, that day or two is when investigations in the military began, prompted, uh, Donald Rumsfeld actually announced this on the news, that there were investigations for, sexual, for extensive sexual harassment in the military. So prior to 2004, around that week, it wasn't a big thing, but apparently... It was hitting the fan around that time. So some people speculate Mora may have been a victim of sexual harassment from either professors or other military personnel at West Point. And if something was unraveling related to West Point that night on Thursday night during her breakdown, that could have had an effect on her mental state, which continued all. And she just happens to disappear that Monday. And she just happens to have another car accident that Saturday. Oh, and by the way, one of the, the hit and runs happened that Thursday, coincidentally, shortly before her breakdown in terms of time frame. <laughs> Are these coincidences blowing your mind yet, Sid? Well, and Maxwell, too. I mean, I guess Maxwell probably forgot all those details. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the tip of the iceberg for coincidence. I'm not going to go over them all here because we do have to get to the heart of this podcast, which is the drug mule theory. So her trouble started at West Point, honor code violations. Then she chose to leave West Point, supposedly voluntarily, so there was a little shadiness there. And once again, if she was going to blow the whistle on some kind of commanding officer or professor involved in some kind of sexual harassment or, or possibly drug dealing, who knows, maybe Billy Roush was involved in something. We have no idea. Billy Roush could be the good guy. He could be the bad guy. We don't know. We're not going to assume because this is mind shock. And this is just logical analysis of all scenarios. 
So she goes to she goes to UMass to become a nurse. And now there's a credit allegedly she was using credit cards to buy pizza. So you know, like obviously in college there are credit card numbers that are passed around especially back then. So she might have been an unwilling participant in that or she might be guilty. She might have stolen it and you I mean we don't know. I mean she's got two jobs. I mean her family's not dead broke. Her father has a good job. You know, I'm sure they don't have a lot of money, but they're not dead broke. I'm sure they can afford a couple dollars worth of food. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. We really don't know. Or someone else could have done it and she was covering for them or she was just framed and she got hoodwinked by the police officers into admitting she did it because they threatened her with far severe more punishment if she did not admit to it, which happens all the time, obviously. I mean, you have people admitting to murder because the officers are lying to them and telling them everything will be more lenient if they just admit it. So they scare them into doing it. I mean, this has been quite big in true crime recently on coerced confessions that have been going on for quite some time, especially to people that are young. Like as an adult, it's kind of easier to say what you would or wouldn't do. But as a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid, 22 even, you're not going to, you're going to be scared of the police threatening you with all these things. And you might admit to something you didn't do. So, so yeah, we don't know the circumstances of that. Did she become a CI after that? Because there were drug busts at the dorm. So Maxwell, now that I did a complete overview of the case for you, you should be on the ball for this podcast, right? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> you didn't get any I, of that? Um, I got some at the end, like I dozed. Yeah, so dazed, but like I, I dazed uh, the first few, and then I remember that. All right, so you remember, so you remember the, the credit C- card. Yes. The, okay, so that's the main the crux of what we're talking. About. Yeah. So the credit card, the credit card fraud is what we're talking about here. Which the other thing that's weird, it was, it wasn't that much money. It was like what, uh, eighty bucks or something. I think it was less than a hundred bucks, and they spent all that money. They actually did a whole sting operation. So they had the police officers involved, and when the pizza was delivered, I mean, that must cost a lot more than the missing money. I mean, is that a good good use of taxpayer dollars? I mean, that's weird too. I mean, is there something bigger going on where they're looking to get CIs, especially someone who went to West Point? I mean, would she be a prime candidate as a CI recruit? She actually she could fire a tank turret. Like she's trained. <laughs> What's a tank turret? Turret, a tank gun. Oh, okay. What's, what is it called again? Turret. Turret. Yeah, this isn't your English class, Maxwell. All right, let's go. <laughs> no, no, I wanna, I wanna learn that. It's cool. I wanna, I wanted, I've always wanted to fly one of those. Fly. So Sid, the tank turret. Sid, Sid, do you yes. do, do you get the uh, implications here? So if she was hoodwinked into being a CI, is that a prime candidate? Someone who went to West Point. That would be a prime candidate. A good student, a pretty good student with two jobs and nursing clinicals who managed to juggle all of it and very smart and also happens to be a great athlete. She, she was a record holding high school track star. Yeah. All right. So that's the background. So she goes missing February 9th in New Hampshire. So there's no evidence that she even made it up to New Hampshire. I keep bringing this up all the time, but for whatever reason, the mainstream narrative, they just take on blind faith that she, in fact, did make it to the weathered barn corner in uh, Haverhill, New Hampshire. So the other thing that we've discussed in the past pretty extensively is that Claude Moulton, who happened to occupy 
the A-frame house, a house somewhat nearby, relatively nearby the crash site, his girlfriend at the time happened to look very similar to Maura Murray. Do you remember that? So what we didn't, what we didn't go over, which is a pretty good theory, I don't believe we've speculated on this, but it is somewhat relevant. If Claude Moulton is involved in some kind of shady, illicit activity, possibly with his brother, who actually turned in a bloody knife to Fred Murray and told him that his brother actually killed Maura Murray. And then that all disappeared. And so because he said Claude was dead or his brother was dead, but then they were just pretending to be dead. I mean, these people, this case has no end of rabbit holes. It's just all over the place. But anyway, his Claude Moulton's girlfriend just happened to look like Maura Murray. What if the girlfriend was involved in some kind of illicit drug activity and someone thought that Maura was her and ran her off the road and, kid and, uh, and wanted to kidnap her or kill her? And they didn't realize it wasn't her until it was too late. Then what are they going to say? Oh, oops, sorry. Wrong person. Bye-bye. <laughs> sure, they definitely won't do that. Maxwell, any thoughts on that scenario? Uh, I completely missed that. <laughs> Good thing you're doing the Bar Murray podcast here. Wait, wait, what did you say? What are you suggesting right now is that, uh, I'm sorry, if he, um, one of the, girlf the girlfriends that had looked just like Maura Murray, so if, and since she was involved in illicit drug activities, that maybe someone, perhaps her dealer or someone else that she may have owed may have kidnapped Moira instead, assuming that it was a girlfriend, and if being mistaken, would have finished her off anyway, because, well, can't just let her go. Maxwell, do you know who Claude Moulton is? Uh, I forgot, but he has a girlfriend that looks like Maura Murray that could possibly been in Claude Moulton, Claude Moulton is the guy who occupied the A-frame house. We've talked about him extensively on multiple podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Claude Moulton. Okay, I got you. And then um, he's got a girlfriend that looks like Maura. Yeah, so if the girlfriend and, and or Claude were involved in illicit drug activity, what if there was some kind of bad drug deal or money owed and someone saw this girl driving a Saturn or a black vehicle at night. It was black. It was, they saw her and they thought she was Claude's girlfriend. So they ran her off that's, the road. That's, like, a, that's a really good theory in that scenario. So yeah, if she, was lying, if she was lying low at the time, someone sees her or, or, or possibly they, they know she's a known drug dealer. And if she's delivering drugs and they want to intercept the drugs and steal them. And it's not a drug deal, a previous drug debt or anything like that. I mean, there's multiple scenarios with that. And after they run her off the road and they see that it's not her, what are they going to do? Oops, sorry. Never mind us. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So. Well, what's, uh, what's going on with the, the current girlfriend right now? Or what, what's, well, um, supposedly what's... they both, they all moved to Maine, which we went over on the Maine episode, if you remember any of that, Maxwell. And, and she's, she's still alive, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing much going on with her. She no, supposedly, she no longer looks like Maura Murray, but uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's talked about the case on, uh, I believe, on some social media sites a couple times. Other people have said about her that uh, if, if Claude was involved, she would have helped him or whatever, but she doesn't have too nice things to say about Claude nowadays. But uh, yeah, we went over all this, Maxwell, come on. So just real quick, before we get into the, into the depth of this and the DEA activity, that night, coincidentally going on in Haverhill, New Hampshire, of all places, 
just happened to be going on that night. Nothing to see here, I guess the mainstream narrative steerers would say. But um, yeah, so Saturn's, depending on where you look, supposedly in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, Saturn's, especially black Saturn's, were known to be drug couriers. I mean, Maxwell, did you have a drug habit back then? Get, wait, get the hell out of here. Like, the, like, no one, what do you mean? Like, like all across America? Uh, I mean, I couldn't find statistics. It's mostly just like word of mouth, but it's kind of like any kind of black vehicle, just a nondescript black vehicle. Like a Saturn, I mean, there's, there's quite a few vehicles that were used, I'm sure. It's just, I don't think Saturns were like 90% predominantly used in drug deals. But out of all the drug deals, a certain percentage were Saturns, not just one or two. So Saturns kept being used because they're cheap, reliable cars, semi-reliable, depending on who you ask, relatively cheap cars. So and they're nondescript, I think, especially at the time, I think the nondescript aspect of a dark Saturn, that would be a prime drug vehicle. So what was I saying right before you interrupted me, Maxwell? I forget something about a Saturn 2000. Yeah. The, oh, oh. I was asking you if you were a, a drug user in the uh, in the early two early to mid two thousands. Uh, I'm drug free. Sid, were you were you heavy into drugs or were you maintaining your brain to for that IQ? Has to maintain the brain. <laughs> so we don't. Okay. So any listeners who happen to have been buying drugs in the, in the early to mid two thousands because apparently we're too straight edge for that, but. Uh, what 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 v if you bought from vehicles or you knew people that bought from vehicles were Saturn's a primary vehicle that drugs were actually I don't know I don't think they would be selling out of the Saturns Saturns be, uh, drug couriers so they were they were trafficking drugs in the Saturns to try to not get stopped if you had you know a very fancy vehicle associated with the mob you know or a mob vehicle. That, those might get stopped, whereas a whereas a nondescript Saturn might be good for transporting drugs across straight li- uh, state lines. So, uh, so yeah, so black Saturns, depending on who you ask, they were involved in a certain percentage of drug trafficking. All right. So so far, what do you think, Sid? Is this looking like a likely theory? Was she hoodwinked into being a CI and transporting drugs in an attempt to bust people across state lines by the FBI? And is that why the FBI has neglected to really take over the case? So, there is a chance, undoubtedly. I'm curious, just to uh, recollect, because wasn't there a time frame where someone on the bus had come by to stop and check on Oh, So, Butch Butch Atwood, yes, he's supposed, so again, he's changed his story so many times. He's been the subject of much speculation. Unfortunately, he has since been deceased so he can't answer any more questions but his wife barbara atwood is still alive so i she's some people's number one go-to interview but um for some reason i don't know if she'd be willing to talk because she hasn't talked to any of the other investigators so yeah he said he gave conflicting stories but he said he did see her he offered to call for her she said she already called AAA, even though there was no cell service so everything about that encounter was bizarre that's the other thing. If it was that some people think that something, if, if Mora went to some kind of party, she OD'd from a drug overdose or whatnot, and they sent Claude's girlfriend to get rid of the vehicle because she, but why would they send someone who looked like Mora unless, I don't know, I don't know, if they were all drugged out, they didn't realize she looked like Mora. 
Would mm-hmm. Butch Atwood have mistook her for Mora, even though she's a local in the area? There's other shady scenarios because Butch Atwood's mother actually either volunteered or worked for the Haverhill Police Department. So, and, and Butch Atwood's family were all police officers, not in Haverhill, but elsewhere. So there's a lot of shadiness around Butch Atwood. Was Butch Atwood a police CI? Was this all some kind of law enforcement cover-up for an operation gone bad, and they were all just towing the line without even knowing it was an operation gone bad? See, the people who always, the, the extremely cognitive dissonant who think that conspiracies never happen or can't happen, they automatically fall for the black and white fallacy of, oh, everybody would have to be in on it, that's unlikely, so then they go to appeal to absurdity, where because they subjectively think it's unlikely, they think it couldn't have happened. Unlikely things happen all the time, number one. Number two, is it really that unlikely if there were only a couple people involved? Everyone else was just following orders. They didn't even know exactly what happened. They just did what they were told, just business as usual, just like every day in the law enforcement community. So they're mostly all good people, and they think they're doing the right thing by following orders. But if there's one or two not-so-good guys in the chain somewhere... They're the bad guys. Everyone else is is doing what they think is right because they were tricked by the very few bad guys. So I'm just saying I'm not going to take Butch Atwood's word as gospel truth. That I can't agree with. So let's refer to John Smith, the probably just from all appearances, the only completely honest and objective investigator in the case based on what I've seen. He admits he doesn't know what happened. He admits he, anything, any theory could be true. He invites investigation into all avenues and doesn't shut down avenues or fallaciously dismiss them. He posted this actually on our Mindshock, on our Reddit Mindshock uh, seven months ago. Was the DEA in Haverhill, New Hampshire on February 9, 2004? There is an office of the DEA, and for those who don't know, the DEA is Drug Enforcement. Did you know that, Maxwell? Yeah, DEA, yep. Oh, okay, cool. So you don't know what a gun turret is, but you know what the DEA is. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Is gun turret, like, a, like a, does everyone know that? I don't know. Sid, do you know what a gun turret is? Uh, yes, personally, I do. <laughs> I would, yeah, so, okay. The, <laughs> there is an office of the DEA in Springfield, Massachusetts, Manchester, New Hampshire. By the way, some phone numbers in phone records did pop up in Springfield. Again, not that unusual. It's 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 a lot more unusual for DEA activity to be occurring in the small town, in the small hamlet of Haverhill, New Hampshire, than in Springfield, Massachusetts, or Manchester, New Hampshire, or Burlington, Vermont. And Burlington was also in her printed out directions in her vehicle. So Burlington keeps coming up, and so does Springfield. Haverhill, New Hampshire, was in a drug crisis, according to town reports. A vehicle that was in the Grafton County Sheriff's Department report on the night Maura Murray disappeared was a Texas-registered motor vehicle. The license plate was a Texas plate. This was reported at 10.41 p.m. in the Agway parking lot. The subject was making a cell call. Cecil Smith happened to be the officer that reported to this. Maxwell, do you know who Cecil Smith is? Or wait a second, Sid Irwin, do you know who Cecil Smith is? Ah, uh, Cecil Smith, the name sounds so familiar. 
He was the allegedly the police. Yeah, he, he was allegedly the first police officer that arrived on the scene. There's a whole bunch of speculation about the timeline that does not add up. There was also an SUV, the 001 SUV that was seen nose to nose by a witness before Cecil Smith arrived allegedly. Then the narrative got switched to it was actually Cecil who was in the SUV. So a whole bunch of stories don't add up in this case. But Maxwell, did you know who Cecil Smith was before I just went over it? Yeah. And Sid, just for the record, they did search another house near the crash scene, alleged crash scene, and uh, Cecil Smith happened to commit suicide around that time. Allegedly, he was visited by the New Hampshire State Police the same day when he committed suicide later that night. Oh, wow. Like I said, the coincidences do not stop. Now, some people speculate that he was guilty. He did something to Mora. I, I postulate the, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I postulate the following. If he was a good guy, if he was a good guy who was tricked into towing the line or coerced or threatened into towing the line for either the state police or Haverhill PD or the FBI, we'd have no idea what happened here if the FBI was involved. Now maybe we have the DEA possibly involved here. We don't know. So he could have just not wanted to deal. I mean, we don't know. And he, apparently he had a neurological condition as well. So that's just not cool to take advantage of a guy who has a neurological condition or any guy, even a guy who doesn't have a neurological condition. If that's what happened, we don't know. So Cecil Smith was at, a, at the hospital during a suicide call. That's another coincidence that I almost forgot about this. There were a bunch of suicide calls called in that night randomly. So usually there's only a couple a year, but that particular night when Maura Murray went missing, when the DEA happened to be in the area, when all this shady activity was going down that night, there just happened to be a bunch, like a year's worth quota of suicide calls called in. You making any connections yet, Sid? Let's use your IQ. What do you think? All of this is so bizarre, right? You have all the bizarre stuff at UMass. You have all the bizarre stuff in Haverhill. What's going on here? Uh, Let's see. Uh, uh, suicides, very sick runs, drugs. Oh, so many drugs. <laughs> um, so let's see then. Her being part of West Point. So, more likely, what you're telling me is that where it must have got recruited. I didn't right, say it was but, more. Th- I didn't say it was more than uh, that. Like, I just, I just followed this the scenario. I'm just, I'm just. I'm just postulating, does this scenario account for all this strangeness? The more it's looked at, it seems like it would. Not that that's what happened. Maybe she wasn't. But a CI situation could account for all these things. All right. So let's take into account the potential that she did get involved in that. I mean, with with all the drugs going on at, at UMass during that time frame and her being a student there, that would be a perfect end. Without a doubt. Oh, and and in the town minutes report of that year, there was also uh, references to human trafficking and drug problems in Haverhill specifically. I mean, this is a small little hamlet in New Hampshire. I mean, it's not a big town. It's not a tourist destination. People don't just go to Haverhill. I mean, they go to that area. There's Bartlett. There, there's you know, there's there's ski mountains in the area. There's hiking in the area, but not specifically Haverhill. Haverhill itself is not the number one tourist destination in New Hampshire. It's mostly just locals who live there. 
No thoughts yet? You want more information? Just, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Because even um, with her, uh, like you said, her sisters have been involved. Oh, I forgot to mm -hmm. mention, her sister, her older sister went on to work for either Department of Defense or CIA contractors. <laughs> Very interesting. Co yeah, she worked for companies that were contracted by CIA or Department of Defense or National Security Agency. All, all those intermingled. We have a lot of agencies going on here. There's a lot of intermingled agencies here. Yes, it's very, very shady. And Bill Roush, her ex-boyfriend, who's in the went to West Point in the military, he also has Washington, D.C. connections. He was actually involved in the Obama campaign as well. And... Yeah, he's, he worked for veteran groups. He, he's done a lot of stuff. Now he's currently under indictment for sexual harassment going back many years. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. This case, this case is bizarre. But anyway, focusing specifically on this area and the DEA. So there's a, there's a vehicle with a Texas license plate. Let me finish. Let me finish. We went over this once before. Maxwell, you're familiar with this, right? What's that? <laughs> what I just said? Um, about uh, Julie? <laughs> no, about the Texas license plate. Oh, uh, no, I forgot about that. So John Smith had a police officer friend. This is from his post. I had a police officer friend run the plate. It came back red listed or red flagged. My friend informed me that this most likely meant it was either a vehicle used by the DEA or being looked at by the DEA. He was also questioned as to why he was checking on this plate. So John Smith calls his buddy. He's like, can you run this plate for me? The buddy runs the plate and it's flagged by the DEA. Then he gets in trouble. So just to be clear, the person that had the Texas plate run for info was a retired sheriff. He called his friend at dispatch and asked him to run the plate as a suspicious vehicle. On the return call, my friend was advised of the red flag and he got a verbal whipping per se. So they not only did it come back DEA, but then he was later questioned as to why he was running the plate. So not only was this red flagged by the DEA, but it was flagged to flag anybody that inquires about it. What do you think about that, Maxwell? Sid? <laughs> Very intriguing. Let's get Maxwell first, because he'll forget in a second if he hasn't already. What do you got, Maxwell? <laughs> did you not hear anything I said? Well, something about a DEA, the, the car was like a DEA being looked at and shit. And, um... So it was either being used by the DEA, either undercover or whatever, or it was a vehicle being tracked by the DEA. John Smith's buddy traced, put, they, they asked, they ran the plate for information. And then the buddy, John Smith's buddy, was at, what, he was questioned as to why he ran the plate. So not only was the plate flagged by the DEA, there was also a flag to check anyone who ran the plate. Oh, so uh, John Smith's buddy got checked? He got in trouble, yeah. They asked him, why are you running this plate? Oh, and what they say? I, well, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what he said. I ran it for a friend. or That's completely irrelevant to everything we're talking about. So I'm curious. I'm curious though, because that'll be, that'll well, be you, you should cool. be you should be curious about the relevant things, because then you could participate in the podcast better. Yeah, but what what would be the relevant thing that if it the relevant thing is that the plate was flagged by the DEA. There's a vehicle. Well, yeah, but that's, that's already. Yeah, but that's already. That's already. Um, that's already given. But, yeah, but you never gave yeah. your thoughts on that. You kept saying about what. Well, well, I just say I just see it as it is. It got 
you know, like you already. So said you don't think. Is. So you don't think. Yeah, it's but you already said what it what it, what it could be. You said it could be a DA being looked at or a exactly. DA being so regardless, used as a vehicle. Yes. So regardless of which of those two options it is, do you find it coincidentally that this vehicle is in Haverhill, New Hampshire, the same night Margo's missing? Um, half and half, I guess. I don't know. Sid, what are your thoughts? I do think it's strange. Just, just for that, in itself, because then, just having again, like you said, if we go with the theory currently, potentially that uh, she may have been taken as a CI, as a CI, for whatever faction that may have been involved, whether it be FBI, CIA, DEA. Well, I'm assuming DEA currently, especially with them flagging. Now, I'm saying sort of taking that vehicle getting flagged down with a red marker. But would it just be for either a DEA car or there been any government vehicle under um It was flagged like, by the DEA. So I, oh, I, I I suppose if the DEA was investigating another agent like let's say there's a rogue FBI agent involved right. in trafficking drugs, then that the DEA could DEA. have uh, flagged the vehicle, yes. Okay. But still, uh, more likely than they fight it because that vehicle probably has been under watch and probably more likely involved in some some investigation involving drugs, clearly, potentially. Probably have belonging either to an owner that uh, was part of an organization uh, dealing with drugs. Either as probably um, the car itself probably being like a courier car, which I think you mentioned earlier. Yes. If Well, well here's what people think. So... I'm going to I'm going to drop the bombshell right now and we're going to go into it in the next episode it's more extensively. So a lot of people believe that the accident was staged and certain investigators on the task force that that uh, were investigating the case we went over this many 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 times. Frank Kelly believes the accident was staged. Other investigators believe it was staged. Reconstruction specialists believe the accident was staged. Maxwell, are you paying attention here? Can you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think you're getting worse, Maxwell. What's going on? I just said there's quite a few investigators and accident reconstructionists who believe the accident was staged, the accident with the Saturn, because it didn't hit a tree. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, because it, did, it didn't right. hit a tree. So pay, a atten possibly... pay attention here. If, okay, what happens? Let's say Mora is not a CI. Let's say Mora is not a drug mule. What if some kind of FBI, DEA operation, they thought she was a drug mule because the, the vehicle she was driving, a Saturn, that maybe they were following from somewhere else, but they lost it, and then they, they thought that her Saturn was the Saturn they wanted. And they either ran her off the road or something happened and she was injured, or we don't know what happened. Something happened. And then the law enforcement agencies staged the accident to cover up their their operation that uh, their derailed failed operation. That's really cool. I like that. Sid, what do you think of that theory? I can see it. All Not right, Maxwell, get your tinfoil hat if you don't have it's it on already. Sounds like a lifetime show. <laughs> Maxwell, you got your tinfoil hat on? Oh yeah, I like tinfoil hats. All right, so here we go. You, you're half and half on there being a DEA flagged vehicle in that specific uh, town, little hamlet, 
where Mora went missing on a random night. Okay, what if I told you there was U.S. Marshall Task Force activity in Haverhill that night? What would you say about that? Um, is it closer to the activities or just the town? Well, this is in the Grafton County log. So there was a caller, Grafton County Sheriff Records. Coincidentally, February 9th, this was at 1051. So the DEA call or the vehicle, the Texas plate was in the log at 1041. Now we have coincidentally, 10 minutes later, there's a, U a deputy U.S. Marshal, Brian Hughes. This right. is from the New Hampshire Marshals Task Force. They arrested a guy named Adam Ellard in March 2004 and again in 2014. Was this who the task force was calling about on February 9th? And does this guy getting arrested in March 2004 for cocaine sales have anything to do with Maura Murray or the Saturn, which all happened to be the very same night? So obviously, we don't know exactly what they were calling about in the log. It says, there's a, a note taker says, advising that the commissioner's office may be calling with information on a subject they are looking for. If they do get the info without using any names. And then there's a marshal office calling party, Brian Hughes. For G3 gave to G5, for G1 gave to G14. And so they wanted the info to G1, G1 advising that the commissioner's office may be calling with information. So we don't know. So that's all of the log says. Obviously, there's missing sections of the log. There's multiple logs with multiple conflicting information on all of the logs. Then there's redacted pieces, but there's also just plain missing pieces, which we discussed before. I believe, I don't know the legalities, but I believe it's illegal to just remove pieces of the log. I think you have to redact them by law. That's why in Freedom of Information Act requests on aliens or anything, there'll be huge sections that are blacked out because I believe they're not legally allowed to just delete pages. I'm not sure though. Sid, do you have any info on that? I on that one specifically. No, I'm sorry. So anyway, what do you think of all this? So is the, the D, there's a DEA flagged vehicle. There's a guy that happened to be arrested for cocaine charges. So it's, it's pretty bizarre. It's pretty bizarre. It is bizarre. Unless uh, a really amazing. Uh, so apparently they also needed, they needed a helicopter. And they needed this individual's name specifically not mentioned on the log. That's kind of, that's weird. They're specifically saying not to name the individual. That's strange. That's the only do that. They're trying to protect their case or protect the person. It might have something to do with undercover FBI at that point then, or undercover DEA, because otherwise, because they don't want the names out there. Very, very true. Maxwell, any thoughts? Uh, some dude um, was, didn't want to reveal his name. What if it was an undercover FBI or DEA who went rogue? <laughs> oh. <laughs> to, uh, or, or actually, hold on a second. Actually, this might be even darker. 
What if it was undercover DEA FBI and something happened with Mora where uh, if she was possibly involved in order to not blow their cover, they had to either get rid of Mora or involved in something bad that happened to Mora. And then that can never go public because that means Mora was sacrificed for the DA or FBI trying to get the head honcho of some kind of criminal organization or drug trafficking ring. And Mora was deemed uh, an acceptable casualty. So, yeah, he could have been uh, taking a little extra liberties with uh, his job. I'm assuming they drugs or the CIs. Oh, that'd be interesting. So let's let's real quick. So Maxwell, do you do you recall that uh, Fred Murray, Mara's dad, he actually sued the state of New Hampshire for not releasing information on Mara's case? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, so here's what. So part of this, this was uh, page eleven on Murray versus New Hampshire. This was uh, letter D number two. Although the information may have been determined not to be relevant to Mora Murray, it may in fact be relevant to other criminal conduct. In fact, information that has been gathered in the case has resulted in cases being opened, investigating charges related to burglary drugs, arson, and criminal mischief. So, so I've long speculated that Moore Murray intersected with something else that might have had nothing to do with her specifically. So if she's not a CI, or even if she is a CI doing a drug run, there may have been another operation that has nothing to do with her, whether or not she's a CI involved in drugs or not. And she got caught in the middle. So if an undercover officer or they mistook her vehicle for another drug running vehicle, or there really was a car accident, it's just the person who got in the accident with her was either undercover FBI, DEA, or maybe another drug runner who was being investigated by the FBI or DEA, and they couldn't afford to take him in then. They wanted to see where he was going, who he was dealing with. It was the middle of an operation, so they couldn't compromise the operation by trying to take him in on a car accident. Maxwell, what do you got? I I missed it. Man, did you not miss a single thing today? Uh, well, I missed the past five sentences. <laughs> How did you know there were five sentences and not four? Because I remember the things before the five sentences. I just speculate. I, I just put up another theory I've put up before. If Maura Murray got involved in something, if someone just hit her who was either an undercover FBI or DEA or a drug dealer or drug trafficker that was being followed by FBI or DEA or watched and they needed to see where he was going, they wouldn't arrest him for a petty car accident because they need to see they need this is a whole lot big operation. Does that not make sense to you, Maxwell? OK, so some dude uh, is too big. Of, it's, it's too, too much, too much of a big hitter that if he does something weird, like, they can't arrest him because he's playing a bigger game. Not exactly, but let's say that. But fine. So what do you think? What, is that scenario explain all the weirdness with local PD, the state police? Because they can't divulge any of this information. Especially if it's still an ongoing case. I mean, if this was all closed, I mean, they still wouldn't say that, though. Do you really think law enforcement agencies would admit, oh, yeah, by the way, Mora just got involved in uh, one of our operations. She was killed, and then we couldn't compromise the investigation, so we could never let that information go, come out. 
it seems to me like this kind of thing is just something that'd be swept under the rug forever. No thoughts at all, Maxwell. Um, I mean, it's possible, I guess. Sid, let's go. Enlighten us with some with some uh, logic here. All right. So, oh no, Maxwell, is your condition infectious? I just had a blanking moment. <laughs> but um, because we were talking about assessing that and then watching, I apologize. This usually does not happen to me. I'm sure. If if someone hit her in a car accident who was undercover FBI, undercover DEA, or some kind of drug runner who the FBI or DEA were watching or following, they wouldn't pull them over for an accident because they need to see where they're going. And then more if more is a casualty of that, or let's say let's say this individual, let's say this is a wanted individual who's involved in illicit illegal activities, if he hit Mora and he mm -hmm. got out of the car because he didn't want her to implicate him or whatever the case may be, would he, would he uh, kidnap her or, or harm her because he's worried about being implicated in this? And then the FBI or DEA, they need to see where he's going and what he's doing so they wouldn't, they wouldn't take him in for that because there, there's so many other people that they want higher up on the food chain. I could see that, sure. I mean, that's what I figured with the... Uh... Car having to have previously belong to a flat idea is probably some small fry that they've been watching to get to someone bigger. But um, thinking about that now, though, if uh, what's if uh, the girlfriend that I think I mentioned I had been, let's say, a CI for them, could she they think they would have used her as a replacement for Moira in the time frame while they staged the crash? Yeah, some it. people some people thought that as well. If yeah, why bother? It seems like kind of weird. Why bother unless you're trying to get everyone to believe that Mora made it to that one? We did a previous podcast called an earlier accident. Supposedly there was an earlier accident closer to seven instead of seven thirty p.m. Right. So yeah, we really don't know. Again, there's there's all these disappearing reports. I mean, people overheard on the radio that there was a call for an earlier accident. So we really don't know if that re if the real accident is the earlier accident and the later accident is the staged accident that was used to cover up whatever happened at the real accident. Oh, true, very true. Yeah. Maxwell knows all about the earlier accident. He was on that podcast. <laughs> Still, though, very interesting, common way to make someone disappear, if that was the case. So, yeah, no, I'm just pointing out if the U.S. Marshals and the DEA both had interest in Haverhill or that area, that's just bizarre, is it not? I agree. So if there was some bigger operation where they were looking for black Saturns just trafficking drugs to New Hampshire, possibly through to Canada, and they thought that her vehicle was involved when it wasn't. And something weird went down. The other thing is, like, we have Bruce McKay, who is known, you know, as Officer Pepper. If he got, I mean, we we just there's too many unanswered questions, too many rabbit holes in this whole thing. Here's the other thing: like, if the Saturn was used as to smuggle drugs, if someone used Mora's Saturn to hit Patrick Vassy, which we went over multiple times, Maxwell, you remember Patrick Vassy in the hit run? Yes, the Russian dude that supposedly uh, he's actually Alba he's Albanian. Albanian dude that got run over or ran over someone. Yes, he's the and Albanian. He got, he, got, with... he, got he got paralyzed. Some shit and then... No, he didn't. He was just in a coma. Oh. 
Yeah, something like that. So that just happened to be the night when Mora had her emotional breakdown. And also keep in mind, Artic Roderick is an ex-U.S. Marshal. So he's involved in the Oxygen show, and he's, it's, it's weird because if they're trying to keep the lid on what really did happen and close off any avenue on, on any kind of law enforcement conspiracies, if he really does know what happened that night, or maybe he doesn't, and they just brought him in to toe the line. But uh, some people, some people aren't fans of Art Roderick and his emotional triggering. Anytime someone brings up the timeline, he seems to get really weird about that. I would think an honest investigator would welcome inquiry into all avenues, because if you don't know what the truth is, how do you know what to investigate, what not to investigate? You investigate everything to see what the truth is, but. So, yeah, once again, this could have all been one accident. So if, if the DEA, FBI, if they accidentally killed her because she thought she was a, they thought she was a drug mule when she wasn't. Can you imagine if that went public? I mean, that'd be real bad, right? Yeah. So other CIs have been killed, even at UMass. Wait, they have records of CIs that got killed at UMass? Yeah, we actually, we actually went over that in previous podcasts. Uh, how many? Uh, I think there was only one of a current UMass student, and then there might have been another one of a former student. There were, I don't know, one, two, three, something like that. A couple. There was, no, there's more than one. Two or three. I mean, over the years, it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all in one year. So here's, here's another weird thing. So we, more, for Maura Murray to just skip town completely. Like she called, she sent an email to a professor saying there was a death in the family or whatever. She's just going to leave town randomly after all this stuff is going on. What if she's not leaving randomly? What if she's meeting up with an, some kind of FBI or DEA handler? And they told her she had to. What if there was some kind of preliminary, some kind of info that she had? Like what would make her leave if she left? If she really left, it would have to be something substantial. They should make movies of all the theories we have. It's like 35. Is that the only way that you'd pay attention, or would you forget about it as soon as you finished watching the movie, you'd forget what was in the movie? Mm, I'd probably forget all of <laughs> So you know what else is weird? The, do you know about the Witness Security Program? Yeah. So this is right off the U.S. Marshals website, .gov. The Witness Security Program, the U.S. Marshals Service, provides for the security, health, and safety of government witnesses and their immediate dependents who li whose lives are in danger as a result of their testimony against drug traffickers, terrorists, organized crime members, and other major criminals. The Witness Security Program was authorized by the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970 and amended by the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984. The U.S. Marshals have protected, relocated, and given new identities to more than 8,600 witnesses and 9,900 of their family members since the program began in 1971. The successful operation of this program is widely recognized as providing a unique and valuable tool in the government's battle against major criminal conspirators and organized crime. Witnesses and their families typically get new identities with authentic documentation, housing, Subsistence for basic living expenses and medical care are provided to the witnesses. Job training and employment assistance may also be provided. The U.S. Marshal Service provides 24-hour protection to all witnesses while they are in a high-threat environment, including pretrial conferences, trial testimonies, and other court appearances. No witness security program participant following program guidelines has been harmed or killed 
while under the active protection of the U.S. Marshals Service. In both criminal and civil matters involving protected witnesses, the U.S. Marshals cooperate fully with local law enforcement and court authorities to bring witnesses to justice or to have them fulfill their legal responsibilities. So it says, see, that's a little shady. No participant following program guidelines. So they could just say they weren't following guidelines when they were just to keep their stat of nobody harmed or killed. If she was harmed or killed and it had something to do with that, they wouldn't want that public either. So we would never know, would we? I missed what you said. What a shocker. I don't think you got a single thing on this one, Maxwell. Come on. Sid Irwin, anything? Um. <laughs> hmm. If there was some involvement with the U.S. Marshals and she was killed in some kind of U.S. Marshal DEA joint operation of some kind, that would never go public, right? Like, we'd never know about that. Uh, more than likely, but there is a chance of likelihood if they decided to lay it down the road. But considering all the chaos with this case, I doubt that. Yeah, I thought that would occur. Unless it quote-unquote got leaked out later on. All right, so some very, very astute online sleuths uncovered this information about license plates. Okay. So this was posted August 26, 2016. Paul Harding, deputy sheriff since 2000, private pilot, answered, retired drug interdiction task force director. I had an undercover vehicle when I worked on a multi-agency drug task force. My car was registered to a fictitious person in a nearby city. In other words, I had a completely fictitious registration issued by the state. This multi-agency task force was led by a high-ranking person from the Illinois State Police, and even though I was a county deputy, I held a rank within the Illinois State Police. This may be subject to their policies and disciplinary practices. If my fictitious plate was run for any reason by any cop, then that cop would see nothing out of the ordinary. However, the back end of the database would automatically send an email to no less than the director of the Illinois State Police. He would then ask his second in command for the entire state why my plate was run. And that person would ask one of his subordinates why my plate was run, and that would filter all the way down the ISP chain of command until it ended up with me sitting in front of the director of my task force trying to answer for why my plate was run. Then the answer went all the way back up the chain to the very top. Now understand, this happened all the time. Cops can run plates for no reason or for any reason or no reason at all, and when we were doing stuff like surveillance in high crime areas, it was common for us to get our plates run by patrol officers. So there wasn't any assumption that we had done something wrong every time our plates got checked, but there was a system of checks in place going all the way up to the very top of the state's chain of command to provide oversight and ensure that we weren't doing dishonest things like taking citations or crash reports under a fictitious name complete with state-issued documents to back us up. It wasn't uncommon for someone along the chain of command to personally contact the officer who ran the plate to inquire as to whether he recalled running it for any specific reason, just to ensure that we weren't up to something we shouldn't have been doing. That's actually a very good point, because as I speculated, what if this undercover DEA guy or FBI guy, they went rogue or they were also involved in, in drug trafficking or illicit activity just to pocket some extra cash on the side? 
that no one would ever know about and then either do their job properly and take down whoever they were supposed to take down or not, or just continue taking money on the side. We really don't know. My vehicle was involved in a crash one time where it was legally parked and a crash report had to be done. I had to call my boss and he had to initiate a whole procedure to ensure that all the agencies involved, including the other driver's insurance company, were aware of the fictitious nature of my registration. Of course, there was absolutely no chance of that particular crash being my fault, <laughs> but the procedures were in place to ensure that a crash, which could be the officer's fault, everything would be transparent on the, and on the up and up. I never did any serious deep undercover work where it would have been really necessary for me to go through something like a crash report or citation under a fictitious name, so there wasn't much danger of a blown cover from that crash. Mostly, we were more covert than undercover, and the minor undercover stuff I did was usually in different towns when I was on loan to a neighboring region's task force. Pretty interesting info, right, guys? Um, I missed that one, Matt. <laughs> did you not miss? Is there something that you haven't missed in this podcast, Maxwell? Uh, I don't know. I, I know the DEA thing. Um, that's about it. Sid, what do you think? What do I think? Yeah, that's why you're on the podcast. That's, 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 that's the reason why I'm here on podcast for that. Or am I on here because they pay me to be on here to, to, to uh, mislead you? In <laughs> Are you a government shill, Sid? Ah, that would be redacted. <laughs> what do you got? Um, I'm still stuck on the... Uh, Furious theories for now, so give me a pain on this one. All right, well, let me give you some even more information to work with. Once again, some very astute online sleuths, not unlike Maxwell Powers, have discovered some very interesting information. Operation Candy Box. Does this sound familiar, Maxwell? No, but I like the name. So this is from justice.gov, March 2004. Several weeks after Maura Murray goes missing. What a coincidence. Is there any lack of coincidence? This is from the Department of Justice. Authorities identified a large network of couriers who allegedly utilized vehicles with sophisticated traps to transport currency and ecstasy. In one incident, a vehicle bound for Canada via the border of Burlington, Vermont, was searched and $750,000 in U.S. currency was discovered concealed in the fuel tank. Is that more or less than you got from uh, your ex-wife's uh, settlement, Maxwell? Your divorce settlement? I had significantly more. Oh, wow. Maxwell's loaded. You got you to go to like some kind of like get some memory treatments with all your money. Okay. Information developed during the investigation suggested that the organization was capable of distributing up to 1 million ecstasy tablets per month in the U.S. and Canada. More than 130 were arrested in this international narcotics and money laundering investigation. This is Operation Candy Box 2004. Keep in mind, that night, February 9th, there happened to be a vehicle with DEA flag plates. And then we also have that same night, coincidentally, only an hour later. 
U.S. Marshall Task Force calling Grafton County, which is evidenced in the sheriff's lock. Mora also had directions to Vermont in the vehicle. Not that strange. She, she was an avid hiker, so she did go to those areas for hiking. However, this, Maxwell, is this just a, is this Coincidence City or what? Coincidence Hamlet. Yeah, it's a lot of coincidences. Are you still 50-50 on it being strange or the added, all, all these added operations, U.S. Marshals calling, is, is that just too much to be a coincidence? Yes, a lot. Uh, U.S. Marshal within an hour of her missing, right? Well, that would be several hours. It was within an hour of the guy in the vehicle with the plates flagged by the DEA, which was around three hours after the crash, allegedly. It's all that same night. And all the suicide calls going down. All of that's going down the same night. Is this our most mind-shocking episode yet, Maxwell? Or do you not remember any of the other episodes? Um, they're pretty good. It would be interesting to finally track down the Springfield number that Billy Roush called. Because did he call the DEA that night? Because he did call his professor at West Point, who knew both him and Mora. What were they talking about? They both went out of their way to say they weren't talking about Mora. Do you find that strange, Sid? Strange. Strange. Huh. Also, do you remember, so there's another detail we didn't discuss in this podcast yet, but you know about it, Sid. The rag and the tailpipe. So the Westmans, these, this is, these, they uh, called yes. in the accident. They also reported seeing a flurry of activity in the trunk. Was, and then there was a red truck in the area. Was the red, did they, if there were drugs in the Saturn, did they take the drugs out of the trunk? And put them in the red truck and then leave via red truck. Westman also reported a man smoking a cigarette. And then that testimony was changed in their ever-changing stories. Which we're going to get back to the Westmans in a moment. Uh, there's some, yeah, some information that I don't know we mentioned on Mindshock before about the Westmans. But what do you think so far? Was could Could the Saturn have been involved in transporting drugs? Was it, here's another theory we didn't talk about. What if Mora, so, so there are theories that Mora had a new boyfriend and she went up with the new boyfriend. So if all the Billy Roush weirdness is simply only connected to the new boyfriend, her possibly wanting to break up with him, whatever. And that has nothing to do with how she went missing, specifically in Billy's direction. However, what if her new boyfriend was a CI, Undercover FBI. We also do know that the FBI did conduct interviews at UMass. So the FBI was at UMass. Did the FBI give everybody a gag order? Is that why her friends aren't talking? Is that why her friends never even went up to search for her in New Hampshire? Do you find that weird, Sid? We'll find out if that was the case. So her on that grand scale to have the FBI really put that many people to silence and uh, to go along with it, it's intriguing. Well, to go along with what? They might not know what happened. They were just told not to talk about it. So, True. once again, it's not a grand conspiracy that everybody's in on. We're talking only a couple people and gag orders. That's the way it's usually done. So, yeah, this is this is quite, quite bizarre. Maxwell, any thoughts on this? So, if why did they put the rag in the tailpipe? Was that also some weird signal? The only connection is Fred Murray said that he told Mora to do that. Now, let's, go, let's, let's not fall for black and white fallacies. Is it possible that someone else, let's say her boyfriend, put the rag in the tailpipe as a signal to something involving drug trafficking or DEA, and coincidentally Fred Murray just thought it was Mora because he happened to tell her to do that to stop smoking? 
I mean, is there a monopoly on what a rag in the tailpipe could do? I mean, who's to say that different people don't have different uses for a rag in the tailpipe? I could agree with that. I mean, definitely use it for uh, anything too dangerous, especially in an open area as such. Because uh, such a scenario is usually used for what? Um, assuming suicides? Probably more than an enclosed space, not in an open area. Yeah, but that wouldn't do anything unless you had, you, you need to run like the hose Holes, the vehicle. Right it, the doesn't, it doesn't really do anything if you just stuff a rag in the tailpipe. Because it'll just blow out, especially at a certain point. So it seems like it's almost a signal versus, it, it doesn't have a functional cause because it seems like it would have blown out. But uh, the other thing that's strange is several years later, the exhaust was removed from the vehicle to be tested. So why did they wait that long? Is that when just interest was increased to what really happened to Mara and the person that put the rag in the tailpipe was actually undercover FBI, DEA, or some kind of drug trafficker that they were after and they didn't want his DNA to be uncovered by any other entity because that's their case and they need to keep that to themselves. Oh, very intriguing. Definitely a stretch, but feasible. It wouldn't be that hard to uh, put the red tape up for that. All right, are you guys ready? For one of the biggest mind shocks of all. DEAMuseum.org. The lecture series on Operation Candy Box. We go to page 45. At the same time, she's got a bunch of students. One of the people in her outfit, so this is a drug trafficker, was uh, he's now in jail here serving his time in Washington. He was the son of an embassy official here, and he got a bunch of students from local universities, and he'd get them to go on a train to places like Boston, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, pick up garbage bags of money, and come back into Washington, go to individual banks, and get cashier's checks for money. And they would say that they would be student loans and they have to pay people back in Canada. Also, keep in mind, the previous, that previous weekend, Mora's Saturn was spotted in Boston. We don't know if that panned out or not. That was a tip. There was a truck next to it with a plate. That panned out. But we just, this was reported to James Renner. We really don't know too much about that. But there was some activity in Boston. Boston's not that far. We really don't know what's going on there. But so basically people in these outfits recruit university students. Isn't that bizarre? What do you think about that, Maxwell? That's uh, interesting. They recruit right from the college. That's awesome. It wasn't an orthodox method, but various changes, methodologies, traffic and you. Also strange is Maura Murray's late night calls to, to Domino's Pizza, even after it was closed. Some of those calls are several minutes. It, it's kind of bizarre. Does she know someone there? Is that someone involved in drug trafficking? Did they borrow her Saturn? What's going on? We really don't know. There's so many unanswered questions and rabbit holes in this case. It's just, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling, mind-shocking. So in some of these cases, it's investigated by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administrator's Cross-Borders Initiative Task Force in Lowell, Massachusetts, including the Massachusetts State Police, the Haverhill Police Department, the Salem, New Hampshire Police Department, and the Essex County Sheriff's Department. So a lot of these are also listed in Mora case files, some of these agencies, 
that were possibly involved. That's really weird. It does seem like something very, very strange is going on. And in 2003, actually, that was when Mora's dorm, Kennedy Hall, had one of the biggest drug raids in their history, $24,000 and massive amounts of marijuana. Two were arrested, and these were Asian names, so they were Vietnamese and other Asian traffickers in Candy Box in March of four. So was this all related? We don't know. Oh, here's another mind shock regarding Mora's Saturn. Are you ready, Maxwell? Yeah. Do you remember Erin, the nurse, who she dropped off the nursing scrubs to the morning before, before she left? I remember something like that. Yeah, supposedly Erin also had a Saturn as her vehicle. Oh, that's interesting. Same color. Don't know that. <laughs> that is interesting. And she was on the Oxygen show... And her story doesn't make a lot of sense either. I think we, we went over this. She got a, she said she got a call from Maura Murray, who was upset, who said she's dropping off clothes. She claims she heard a, door, a knock on the door, but she doesn't answer the door. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty weird. So we don't even know if it was Maura who dropped off the clothes or it could have been someone tr- sounding like Maura on the phone. So... And Erin lived, she lived on campus, but far from Mora's dorm. You know what else is weird? What if someone else was using Mora's Saturn without her knowing? Because didn't they leave the key on the exterior of the vehicle after it had to be towed in January? So someone could have possibly been using her vehicle without her knowing. And then maybe she found out. And then that caused a big problem. Maybe that other person was a CI. This is all a very, very, very big mess. So let's go to the Londonderry ping. Do you remember that one, Maxwell? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's shocking. Uh, Sid, are you still with us? Sid Irwin. Yeah. So there's another aspect to the case, as obviously there are uh, very, very many. So Todd Landry actually wanted to track... Londonderry ping it was a phone it was a call someone was trying to call Mora's phone and nobody knows exactly which London and we did a whole episode on this so you could check that out but if this was related to this some kind of DEA CI FBI operation and they were trying to get Mora and then they lost her that would be covered up as well so they really wanted to cover up that ping so what if Todd Landry actually got that the number was from uh, some kind of undercover law enforcement or DEA or FBI, and if they were respond or something involved with, with the U.S. Marshals as well, and they were supposed to be helping Mora, but then for whatever reason, somehow they got separated, or if one of her other friends is also a CI, that could be why they're all silent, right? Like, what else could be explained? If, if she was lost in this botched operation, they're not going to admit it. They want to cover it up and keep it hush-hush. If there were other CIs involved, you can keep them in line real quick. Or even if they're not CIs, they're like, you're not allowed to talk about this. This is part of an investigation. You will be charged for interfering with an investigation if you say anything about this. Would that be enough to keep you quiet, Maxwell? Yeah. Or actually, you wouldn't remember anything that happened anyway, so I guess they wouldn't have to worry about you. <laughs> 
Would that also explain if Mora was being watched or somehow involved with CIs, DEA, she gets into a car accident in Hadley, if they were following her or watching her, they would all already be there. And if there was another individual there that wasn't supposed to be there, they'd have to get that other individual out of there. So local police don't see him or who knows, or anybody sees him. That could have all been to control the scene, the delay in, in getting the police out there. What do you guys think about that? Actually, working at the interest theory, set up for everybody, the security area, distract them, ah, oh, the distractions. Here's something else I hadn't thought about. Like, what if she couldn't use the Saturn, so she had to use her dad's car because someone else was using the Saturn and she knew about it? If someone else is using her Saturn for some kind of drug operations, then it's not available to use, so she would have to use her dad's car. I brought this up before, too. If uh, So she, she supposed, allegedly left her phone at the party. But what if, if she didn't want to use her phone because she knew her phone was being traced, tracked, or whatnot? What if her handler, if she was a CI or, D, or some kind of undercover FBI DEA, what if she found out that her handler was crooked and involved in the drug trafficking himself? Or other UMass PD could, uh, or whoever, local PD or UMass PD were involved in some of the drug trafficking, either with dominoes or whatever, and she couldn't tell anybody because they were all involved. So she just wanted to run away to save herself. Some, someone else uh, brought up on our Reddit that uh, it's actually pretty creepy to think about. What if the plan was to make Mora disappear that Saturday night? So the Hadley accident wasn't exactly an accident and she was going to be disappeared, but that police cadet was a good guy and he was there. He was close by, either in the car with her or coincidentally nearby, so they couldn't do the uh, abduction there. We don't know who's doing the abduction. Are, is it the bad guys? Is it the FBI, DEA? What if the plan was to get her there? It didn't work. And then if she ran, then they did it in, in however soon they could in New Hampshire. And the London Dairy Ping is related to that as well. Or not. Is that kind of creepy to think about, Maxwell? Yeah. Also, if someone stole her phone, so she said she left it on the party. What if someone took it and they found out she was a CI? So now she's marked for elimination by these drug traffickers. And maybe that's why she was freaking out on Thursday. What if someone found out she was a CI? No thoughts? Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. So, all right, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about John Healy for a moment. So Healy is one of the primary investigators early on in the case. He's been involved in Witness A's account. The, he believes the accident was staged as well. I think that's what he said. So people have pointed out that John Healy has actually had a history of working very closely with the DEA, FBI, IRS, HLS, AFTD, and other agencies. So apparently, he provides preliminary investigations done before issuing search warrants, raids, stings, background checks, and things of that nature. So if there was a bunch of weird things happy, happening that night, was John Healy involved in this whole scenario before he became officially involved in Moore Murray's case? Do you know who John Healy is, Maxwell? No, who's that? I just said. 
he kind of went away from the case, but uh, John Healy, I'll, I'll give a couple of snippets of what John Healy's statements John Healy has made. In 2006, he said, even if the court decided that some of all, or all of the records should be released, we don't want them. John Healy, a former state trooper who was coordinating the volunteer effort, said Wednesday, we understand the damage it could do if certain investigative theories or avenues that led to dead ends were made public. That's a strange thought. In 2007, Healy said, although police have said Mora crashed her car into the trees, he and other investigators do not believe that to be true. He said, based on the damage to the Saturn, that it appears as if the car was traveling at a slow speed when it may have struck the underside of another vehicle. The actual crash site may have taken place somewhere else. Not only that, they believe Murray may not have been the young woman then first student school bus driver Butch Atwood saw. They believe the scene where the Saturn was found by Atwood may have been staged. You know what's weird, though? Why would he say that if he's trying to put the lid on this whole operation? So that's, yeah, John Healy's a, a curious cat because we really, he's saying this stuff, but on the other hand, he was involved with a lot of law enforcement agencies unless they didn't tell him what really happened. And he is being honest. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's bizarre. So in 2007, about the wine box, John Healy said the box was damaged, perhaps in the accident, and reddish spots resembling wine were also found on the road. According to investigator John Healy, Sergeant Smith later recovered a Coke bottle that contained a red liquid with a strong alcoholic odor. None of the other bottles of alcohol that Mora had bought in Amherst were found in the car. In 2009, he stated, I'm totally befuddled said John Healy, president of the New Hampshire League of Investigators, a group of private investigators who's been volunteering on the case for four years. The thing that is really, really tough for us, and it's got to be tough for the state police, is the time frame. Literally, this was in the blink of an eye, Healy said. Did a car stop? Did she walk away? We just don't know that. Healy, a former state police lieutenant, said investigators have not shelved the case. Trust me, these people are working their tails off. In 2004, a report states Fred Murray initially worked closely with Healy's group. In 2005, though, he sued the state police in an attempt to make public all of the records pertaining to the investigation. He was unsuccessful, and what's more, Healy and his volunteers publicly disagreed with his effort. Fred said more conflicts arose, so he stopped working with them. He shut the door on me and the whole group of volunteers ever since, Healy says. Healy's group is still trying to find Mora and by his estimates has spent thousands of hours working leads. We're doing this for their whole family, Healy said. You know what's interesting? What would have prompted Fred Murray to kind of cut ties with John Healy and this group? Did he smell something fishy about what they were doing? Were they kind of a, somewhat of a controlled opposition instituted by the DEA, FBI, or other agencies to put the lid on it? What do you think? Um... Yeah, I don't know, man. Maxwell Army. Sid, what do you think? Sid Irwin. Yes. What do you think? Do you think John Healy was just kind of, and this whole League of Investigators was kind of a controlled opposition instigated by DEA, FBI to keep the lids on the case, and Fred Murray kind of sensed that at some point, so he decided to sue the state and sever ties with this group of investigators? It could be, very well. Be, um... Maxwell, I just repeated it. Did you hear that or no? He's a, that he's a controlled opposition and things like that. Yeah, is, and Fred Murray somehow got the inclination that something was off with Healy and the group, which is why he cut ties. 
different than that. I mean, what may I want to work with that group that potentially is trying to attain their own goals while searching for your daughter and potentially holding up a case so that you can find it? Ah, uh, that would be. The only thing, yeah, the only thing that doesn't make uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense is why they would say the accident was staged. But uh, in the narrative steering, let's move to 2014. Healy, the private investigator, was blunt. He believes there is zero chance Moore is alive. He thinks she was abducted and murdered, and he's confident that one day the case will be solved. Everything is pretty much on hold and at a standstill. When we get a tipper idea, we will be on it, Healy said. Really, the next step is we're hoping somebody somewhere knows something and will come forward. He also stated she got into the wrong car, she went to the wrong house, Healy said last week. One minute she's there, ten minutes later she's not. In Mora's case, we're one step away from thinking alien abduction. It happened so fast, Healy said. Strelzen said it's unlikely but not impossible that the young woman had gone off to start a new life, but he and Healy agree that kind of disappearing takes careful planning, help, and resources. So it seems like all these guys, if it is some kind of law enforcement conspiracy or DEA cover-up or witness protection, it seems like all of these people are kind of steering a narrative to get nobody to consider those possibilities and to keep it the focus on, oh, she went to the wrong house, she got picked up by a bad guy. Just kind of kind of weird. Kind of weird. Sure. All right, so cold, uh, very strange investigator in this case who has gone off the rails many, many times. He alleges that he called the Westmans, and he believes the Westmans have been gagged by Grafton County Sheriff's Department. He said he called them a while back to clarify some matters, and they informed me they have been forbidden to talk to anyone outside of law enforcement. Tim actually said, we're not supposed to talk to you guys. I asked Tim if they explained their reasoning for the gag order, and he said the Grafton County Sheriff's Department informed him it is witness tampering. As I have stated all along, the Westman's faith more than likely saw the 001 SUV pull up with lights flashing before shutting them off. And that time was 7.35.31. Cecil arrives 10 minutes later, and when he knocks on the Westman's door and says, where's the girl, Tim and Faith are dumbfounded. Firstly, they didn't even know it was a girl. And secondly, they can't figure out how he didn't see the driver of the car because she was right there when 001 arrived. And they would have rightfully assumed that Cecil was the first officer driving 001, even though he wasn't. It is reported that Faith went to the kitchen window to check for herself after Cecil said what he said. She didn't tell me that when I interviewed them several years ago. But if, in fact, she did, did she note that the 00 SUV was now the 002 sedan? Is that why the Westmans are gagged? Because this is a contradiction that can't be reconciled per the oxygen narrative, and the New Hampshire State Police knows this and is remaining silent for obvious reasons. I would hope the obvious reasons are because they're waiting for the driver of 001 to do something that gives himself away, but I don't know. Maybe it's certainly possible. I sure hope that's what's going on, but let's keep in mind people grow old and die, and you can't wait forever for the driver of 001 to slip up in some way. At some point, you have to interrogate him and any and all who have remained silent that either know about this or have suspected it and helped cover it up. Very interesting. What do you guys think? No comments? No thoughts? Well, I'm looking for Sid Irwin. Sid Irwin, what do you got? Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. 
I can see, I can see it happen. I'm just thinking if uh, you did rearrange that, and then uh, we had to sit there. The scenario started the narrative to cause other people to believe that she could be safe. And or uh, again, having either gotten abducted or teamed up with someone else. And either way, just to ignore the potential truth and create any actual real investigative search into the scenario. I can see it. All right, a couple more mind shocks to close out this episode. So I think we mentioned this one before. Maxwell can correct me if we did not. Do we did did we say who the fire chief in Haverhill was in two thousand four? I'm not 100% sure I remember that. Maxwell. You weren't on that one, Sid. Maxwell was, though. I don't, I don't remember. Mike Lavoie. Do you know who that is? Is that from the, the other podcast? Mike Lavoie is the guy who towed the Saturn to his personal garage. You don't remember any of this? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the, actually the fire chief in 2004. Coincidentally... None of the other fire department members have been interviewed about the accident because what the, the, none of it makes sense. So if this is some kind of big cover-up, they're all gag-ordered. Mike Lavoie's in on it. They, they were just told not to talk about it. They all think they're doing the right thing because they're doing some good. Maybe they are. We don't know what, we don't know what the circumstances of her going missing were. So maybe they are. But the final, mon, the final mind shot. Do you know who John Monahan is, Maxwell? I do not. John Monahan is the state police trooper who arrived on the scene, but did, but it was all denied and covered up until until however many I don't know how long it was was it a whole year they didn't release that he was even on the scene until a period of time later. Then Monahan said that's not what he saw in reference to Cecil Smith in zero zero one. So it seems like Monahan saw him in zero zero two. Also, Monahan drove around looking for Mora as well, and Monahan visited different er- different stores in the area looking for Mora's video, looking for surveillance video. Now, here's what has not been mentioned before. Maxwell, are you following? Okay. Oh, and some guy who worked with John Monahan said that Monahan was first on the scene to the accident. So, not sure if that person was just generalizing and saying that Cecil Smith wasn't there when John Monahan arrived? I, we really don't know. But not long after Mora disappeared, John Monahan was suspended for two months and then put on desk duty. Now, even if that has nothing to do with Mora Murray, is that, is that shady? Is it because he wouldn't play ball in a cover-up? Is it because he's shady himself and he was involved in something else that's shady, which may or may not have to do with his actions on the night Maura Murray disappeared? Maybe he's the good guy and he was being punished. Maybe he's the bad guy and he's being punished. Maybe it has nothing to do with Maura going missing. What do you guys think? Is that just all a coincidence to add to the entire stack of coincidences? Cricket, cricket. Oh. There just seems to be a lot of coincidental circumstances surrounding the case, and it's just one coincidence after the other. It's like you don't really know what's related, what's not related. It's all very, very bizarre. 
So we, again, like all things, we really don't know if she was a CI, if she was trafficking drugs. All of this is unknown. They're just different theories that need to, explore, to be explored. In the next episode, we will go over the intricacies of staging an accident to see whether or not her accident was indeed staged and possibly some new information about the Saturn itself. We hope you enjoyed another edition of the Mindshock True Crime Podcast in the More Murray series. If you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you like the video, hit the like button. Feel free to share it across social media platforms. You can also become a patron on Patreon. And like our Facebook page. Check us out on Twitter and Reddit as well. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And Michael Powers. Sid Irwin, are you going to sign off? <laughs> Sid Irwin, are you going to sign off? Uh, I believe I might at this point at the juncture. Are you going to do it? We're just going to talk about it. Like, we'll catch you guys next time. Oh, man, you guys were both asleep for that one. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I completely just space condemned You pulled the Maxwell. <laughs> oh, man. That's the whole. That's the whole reason we have like a third person on. We're gonna have to have a fourth person on, and then they're gonna catch Maxwellitis as well. <laughs> <laughs>